Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. An ongoing Ebola outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo has sickened over 200 people and resulted in over 130 deaths as of October 18th. Now, the DRC is experienced in handling Ebola outbreaks. A separate outbreak in the country's Equator province was rather quickly and effectively contained over the summer. 33 people died, but it could have been much, much worse. What makes this current outbreak so potentially dangerous is the fact that it is occurring in a conflict zone. Ebola has been confirmed in two provinces, North Kivu and Achuri, that have long been a hotbed for various armed groups. As my guest today, Heather Kerr of Save the Children, explains, this insecurity is seriously undermining efforts to bring this outbreak under control. Heather Kerr is the country director for Save the Children in the DRC. I caught up with her from Kinshasa, the capital of the DRC, where she was just emerging from a meeting on the Ebola outbreak. She describes what Save the Children is doing in response to this outbreak, as well as some of the activities of other groups. Heather Kerr also describes how insecurity in the city of Beni is seriously disrupting the activities of health workers to bring this outbreak to heal. This is obviously a very timely conversation about a fast-moving situation, and I think you will find uh, this a very helpful explainer of this current outbreak in the DRC. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, please do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I always love hearing from you guys. If you have suggestions of people I should interview or topics I should cover, please do send me an email. And now here is my conversation with Heather Kerr of Save the Children. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Today, in terms of managing the Ebola response, I mean, I've been in touch with uh, with the team in Beni, um, and uh, we are actually currently seeking more funding uh, for the work that we're doing. So we're uh, looking to see if we can get funding um, from, from two different donors because we have current funding, but because we can see that the outbreak is going to go for longer um, than we previously thought, uh, we obviously need going to need more funding to continue the work we're doing. That's what I've been doing with the team. I always speak to them uh, every evening. Um, and obviously, if there's a security incident or insecurity, make sure they're safe and uh, you know, just make sure the whole, find out where the whole team is. And um, yes, as I say, make sure we keep them safe. Are you able to say who those two donors are? 
OFDA. Uh, they're already funding us. This is the um, Office of Foreign so Disaster Assistance at the U.S. Uh, AID. That's, that's right. Yes. Um, so they're already funding us for the Ebola response. So we're looking to uh, hopefully uh, do more work with them um, in this next phase of the Ebola response. And then we're looking to um, WHO, hopefully to uh, provide us with a little bit of money from the overall response budget. Uh, and in a moment, we'll uh, get into what exactly Save the Children's responsibility and is is in terms of, of the Ebola response, what sort of tasks you're taking on. But before we get there, could you perhaps maybe set the scene for us, explain the origins of this current outbreak? Um, well, it's obviously different to the, uh, the outbreak in Equateur. So I think, as uh, you probably know, um, there was just one week before the end of the outbreak in Ecuador and uh, the start of the outbreak in in North Kivu. Um, but they are very definitely two separate outbreaks there, two different strains of uh, Ebola. That's what we've been told. Um, so, I mean, it was actually on the 1st of August, which is a public holiday here, um, that it was publicly declared that there was an outbreak in North Kivu. Um, so, I mean, then... Obviously, as I was in touch with my uh, my head office, the regional office, many people wanted to discuss what we uh, what we might do. Um, so um, once we decided on our approach to the programming, because in Ecuador we weren't present because we're not actually uh, working in Ecuador, um, but what we did do um, was uh, because there was some threat that the uh, Ebola from Ecuador might possibly travel southwards to Kinshasa. We actually trained up people working in health centers where we already work in Kinshasa on Ebola prevention and provided them with equipment. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, once we decided what our approach is, was going to be for the programming in North Kivu, um, we then, again, first thing you need is uh, you need the money and you need the people. So uh, we set about uh, looking for funding to start. We got some use some of our own internal funding uh, to start up the process. And then we got funding from something called the START Foundation. Um, uh, so we were, able to, we were able to start. We were able to go and um, rehire actually some local people in Benny who'd worked with us before on a, on a health program and decide what the makeup of the team was going to be and then get them in there. So um, by the 11th of August, uh, we had uh, a team in in Benny uh, ready to go, and, um, and we've got a mixture of people. Um, so they're from uh, some people. Uh, we've got three expatriates actually, and the rest of the staff are all national. Uh, a lot of them are from Benny, uh, or people who work elsewhere in North Kivu who were originally uh, from Benny, because it's actually really important in this response uh, to have as many local and lo people who speak the local language uh, in your team. So can you talk a little bit about how um, this outbreak has, has spread and the areas in which it's, it's uh, infected people? Okay, so I think you probably know the original uh, epicenter of the outbreak was in a place called Mabalako, where the, there's a health area called Mangina. Um, and this is where the original epicenter uh, was. And it had also traveled just across the border into Ituri um, province. 
um, because Mabalaku uh, borders uh, Mandima, which is in Ituri. Um, so those were the areas of focus and Beni um, at the beginning of the outbreak. Um, and then, as you will have seen, um, there have been some cases in uh, other parts of uh, Ituri, um, so in Chomia and in Komanda, um, and uh, also a little bit further south in uh, North Kivu, in a place called Masareka. Um, but now, um, the epicenter of uh, the outbreak has become Beni. Um, there are now more cases in Beni uh, than there were in the original epicenter of uh, Mabalako. And, and it seems, um, based on the latest data that I've seen from the World Health Organization, that the number of new cases has increased substantially. Yeah, there was a, a week when there was a real um, spike in cases, um, and it coincided with a period of uh, insecurity. So uh, different armed groups entered the town of Beni. I mean, that's not unusual. Um, but then there were um, violent demonstrations by different people. Um, even people came from Butembo, where there are also um, Ebola cases. So it made it very difficult uh, for any of the organizations to go out and, and work, especially in Beni Town. I mean, we had, we've got over 300 community health workers, and they don't work in the town. They work outside. Um, so they were able to do some work during that week. But, uh, you know, a lot of people weren't, and... Uh, because of that, so because of the insecurity, um, and also, you know, there's quite a lot of community resistance um, to uh, humanitarians coming in um, to assist with Ebola. So um, some of the communities where we work um, don't want to let people in. So people doing house-to-house, -house, um, doing Ebola prevention, explaining what you do if you think somebody in your family's got Ebola, what you do if somebody dies and how you organize a safe burial. Um, they, you know, people resist you coming in. And, uh, Why is that? You know, so we, um, I think it's, I, I think we have to absolutely target the right people. So we must target influential people to pass messages and we need to really decide who they are in the community. So whether they're the chef couturier or the head of the, Cartier, um, groups of young people, you know, young people are really quite influential um, here, groups of women, uh, religious leaders, but we, we need to make sure that they're, you know, we get these people to pass on the messages. Um, and I also, I mean, Benny has a long history of, uh, you know, being attacked. Um, you know, uh, a few thousand people have been killed in Benny in the last few years, and most of those are civilians. Um, and so I... I mean, this is just my personal opinion, but I think Benny might feel, you know, a sort of little bit abandoned, um, you know, because this violence has been going on for so long and nothing's been done about it. So, so um, it, it seems... So I think... Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, well, just picking up on, on, on that point, it, it seems that what distinguishes this outbreak from the previous one in Ecuador is the, that it's incurring in, in, a violent, in a conflict zone, in a violent conflict zone. And I have to imagine that this sort of combination of a highly infectious disease occurring in a, an active 
war zone is something that really the, the an organization like Save the Children is probably only rarely encountered, if if ever. Well, that's one of the reasons why it's uh, it, it's harder um, to to curtail. I mean, so it is is exactly what you don't want to happen. You don't want Ebola to happen in an area like Beni, and not only is it a, a conflict zone, um, but it's a, a zone of um, high population movement. So because of the conflict, uh, you get the population being displaced. Um, and then it's obviously close to the Uganda border. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of cross-border business. It's a business area, so people are crossing on a daily basis to, to do business. So, um, you know, when you put all those things together... Um, it's really where you don't want Ebola to happen. If you look at the other outbreaks that have happened, um, the one before was mainly in a rural part of Equator, apart from a few cases in Bandaka, in the provincial capital. Um, but fortunately, there weren't very many because that's a, a town of over a million people. Um, and the only other um, urban outbreak was in Kikwit, I think it was in 1995, um, but otherwise, they've been in deeply forested or rural areas, so they're much easier to bring to bring under control. Um, but once you're in a densely populated area and a conflict area, then it's just harder to bring it to bring it under control. So, can you describe like what does a security incident uh, look like when it, in in terms of uh, an Ebola response? Like, how have perhaps save the children's staff or, or workers been impacted? Um, well, the way we're impacted is we've, we've got a very good um, security coordinator who I've deployed to the response because I think it's essential. To have, and he knows the area. Um, and he's actually from the general area. So somebody with good, with good knowledge and good contacts um, who so can perhaps have some, uh, uh, you know, who's very well informed um, and for us, um, if we hear there's going to be a security incident or there's one that's happening, we like to tell people to hibernate in the office or go back to the guest house, work for the get from the guest house. I mean, in that week I described to you, uh, we did a lot of work from our guest house, which is in a, what I would call a slightly safer part of Benny. Um, so, but, you know, our, our teams were able to do reporting. They were able to talk to the community health workers, but... Uh, they weren't actually able to go out and work in Benny. So, I mean, that's what happens. Have, have um, workers, though, perhaps not they, with Save the Children, like, been been attacked? Um, well, they, I mean, some people have, this is about community re, um, resistance, though, not insecurity. I mean, people have had stones thrown at their cars, and uh, but uh, I haven't heard of anybody actually uh, being caught up in the incident, because, I mean, there's quite good information that's shared, so people know that they should stay at home or stay in their office. So, but but that, that itself is know, probably what's what's impacting the response, like th- that they're staying at home or in the office and they're not out, you know, doing the contact yeah, tracing that's required. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why you've seen the decrease in contact tracing. It stemmed from that week, and... Uh, then um, if you lose a week of contact tracing, then, pe- you, you know, you, it's hard to track down the people again uh, to do the whole ring of contacts and do the vaccination. Because, I mean, it seems that the vaccination has been uh, pretty, pretty successful. 
I mean, as you know, it's uh, it's not it's actually not licensed in DRC, but uh, it's been approved for use here. Um, so that seems to be working, and uh, some of the treatments that they're using in the Ebola treatment centres. Um, I, I think the last numbers I saw was something like 57 people have been cured. Um, hmm. So you know, there's there's some there's some hope there. And then, if the survivors are willing, I mean, sometimes organisations use them to go back into their communities and say, "Look, I went to the Ebola treatment centre, and uh, and I came out and I'm cured." And because I think there's some people, some community members think that if they go to an Ebola treatment centre. Uh, they may not come back again, um, you know, and their families think that. Um, so it seems that uh, the DRC and, and organizations like yours and the World Health Organization and, and, and uh, other partners have gotten, you know, pretty good at containing an Ebola outbreak, even in like a, a very complex and rural situation like the previous outbreak that ended this summer. But again, what distinguishes this outbreak is that it's just happening in in like a, a conflict zone. So, for example, how is the conflict um, impacting some of the day to day work, uh, like the vaccine ring vaccination strategy that was so effective uh, in stemming the, the the last outbreak? Like, have you heard stories of sort of vaccination teams unable to reach places where they needed to go? Um, well, I think they in that particular week, I just think they weren't able to go out and do mm -hmm. the vaccinating. Um, so, you know, they were confined to their yeah. guest house or offices. I think it just wasn't wasn't possible. Uh, but we're not part of the yeah. vaccinating team, so I can't speak to that. Um, so, I, yeah. So, so, so I, I suppose the the real challenge then is is in the is in uh, an incident like that recurring in which our armed groups again sort of come into town and again there are these kinds of demonstrations and in, insecurity in, in the city of Beni. Uh, that's correct. I mean, there will be more, but these sort of followed one day after another. So, I mean, if you get one instant, then you get a few days when nothing happens. Uh, that's a fairly regular pattern in Beni, but uh, it was just a week of really, really bad um, insecurity. Is there anything Which else? could obviously the, happen yeah. again. Is there anything else that like the international community can do? Perhaps, you know, I know, you know, there's, there's a large peacekeeping contingent in the DRC. Are they, do they have a presence in, in Beni at all? Uh, yeah, they, they are in Beni um, and they help with uh, the UN organizations with their, with their logistics. Um, you know, maybe um, they will play a larger part in uh, trying to help with, uh, with, with the security um, Especially um, in terms of, uh, I, you know, sort of maybe supporting the police more, maybe training them more. Um, I think there's a, a plan afoot to do that, but uh, I can't. I, I don't know that much about uh, what the plans are for Manusco. And and uh, I guess finally, can you maybe describe like how will you know whether or not this um, outbreak is either coming under control or is spiraling out of control? What are some of the indicators that you'll be looking towards in the, in the coming you know, weeks and, and days? Uh, well, we'll be looking at the number of cases per day. Um, so they have gone down somewhat since that, that week, but they're, you know, I think it's like this week, I'd probably be an average of three or four cases. Um, but you want to, obviously we're trying to have a whole uh, 
many days with zero cases. There have only been a very few of those days a while ago. Um, but you need to get the cases right down, so that will be an indicator. Um, and then the contact tracing, so that we get the contract tracing um, right up. And that also when you get new cases, that they are actually contacts of contacts um, rather than completely unknown cases. Um, because if you get completely new cases, then you've got a whole new lot of contacts to follow up. So I think one of the absolutely key things that we all need to concentrate on, and it's something we are going to do much more on, is the contact tracing. Uh, it really is to find those people, vaccinate them, and uh, you know, and really follow them up because that that's how we get it under control. Uh, all right. Well, well, thank you so much for your time. This was this was very helpful, and I'll, I'll let you get back to work. Okay. Well, I hope it was helpful, um, and thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Heather Care and the good folks at Save the Children for helping to uh, put this conversation together across continents at the very last moment. Thank you all. And as always, big thank you to the Global Development Institute at the University of Manchester for being an ongoing content partner with the show. Expect a new episode from that content partnership coming up pretty soon. And if you are with an organization and want to explore a content partnership with the podcast, uh, send me an email using the Global Dispatches Podcast.com homepage. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.